Welcome to From Earning to Learning, the podcast where we talk about all things education. I'm your host, Dave Franjosen. All right, welcome to another episode of From Earning to Learning. I have with me today a high school English teacher, coach, host of Beyond the Curriculum, and co-founder of Teachers Going Gradeless, Aaron Blackwelder. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. So we're wrapping up our school year. We're I have about a month left. How's this school year gone for you? I could say I never want to do it like this again. <laughs> um, the amount of changes that we've gone through from um, from distance learning to hybrid learning to what we call hybrid 2.0, um, where we have all kids in school, um, but you know you know, socially distanced and trying to figure out all that to having some kids still uh, distance learning. And it's it's just not been fun. Um, but, you know, you make the best of the situation that you have. You do it for the kids. Um, and and hopefully, you know, my, my hope is that they had a good experience in my class. But if I never go through a pandemic again, I'd be happy. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Um, so I you're a big proponent of ungrading and, and going gradeless. Um, and you were part of a, a book about ungrading, which we'll get to in a minute. But do you think that helped um, in your experience with your students this year? Well, I, it, I've been so deep into ungrading for, for so many years that um, it's hard for me to say. Um, I could say though that my kids felt better because of it, um, and, and they've I've been told by multiple students from you know your your high overachievers to your um, you know the kids that just struggle with school um, how much they appreciated the fact that um, that things were just not graded and they just got a bunch of feedback and at the end of the at the end of the year um, they did a reflection on, on their own learning and and came up with their own grade. Um, they they really appreciated that and and one of the comments that i got that resonated with me was this was the most stressful year that i've ever had and i teach freshmen this is the most stressful year that i have um how you know i, I appreciate that that uh you didn't grade me on everything because the teachers that were doing that just added more stress to my year um so, and this was a young lady who was, uh, who is a honor student in uh, ASB. She's involved in ASB and all that. And, um, you know, she really appreciated the fact that just not everything was graded. So I would say um, it, it, whether it helped me or not, I don't know. I'm so deep into it. Uh, but as far as my students, yeah, absolutely. It helped them. Um, I think for a lot of teachers though, um, you know, moving to um, online platforms and just having, um, Google Forms pretty much grade your work automatically for you, made it easier for a lot of teachers in this mm -hmm. time. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I can't say whether it made it easier for me or not. Gotcha. Well, yeah. And look, we're here for the students. So whether it makes our job easier or not, if it's positively impacting the students, that's what it's all about. Right. You know, so like that, that's great. And I've had similar experiences, you know, where uh, the students are experiencing a lot of stress and, you know, they're, they're not really um, resonating with that traditional grade and, you know, where they could have masked those inefficiencies. If we were face to face, they're just right out in the open now. So, right. um, 
All right. So that, that brings me to the book on grading. So how did this whole project come together? So there's, um, for anybody who's not familiar with the book, it's a collection of a bunch of different teachers from all levels, college, high school, right? Um, and you all came together and you wrote chapters about your experiences with ungrading. So how'd this project come together? Yeah. So Susan, um, Dr. Susan Bloom, um, put the book together. And um, what she wanted to do is there had been all of these, um, you know, works that, that just justified ungrading, but not at a collegiate level and not, um, not providing uh, the research, the data, and both the, uh, the exp uh, experiential um, elements of ungrading to, um, to justify it at the collegiate level. And so um, she wanted to put this book together in order to speak primarily to uh, to her college peers um, to, to show that, hey, ungrading is something that does um, does resonate at the uh, college level. This is not just a kindergarten type thing. Uh, this is not just a trend. Um, this is something that um, will help all learners at all levels um, to, to thrive and also help teachers. So, um, so Susan then reached out to several teachers. Um, most of them were in the, um, were in TG2 in, in, you know, in connection with TG2, but several of them um, were not uh, like Kathy Davidson um, and uh, Christine, Christina Katapotis and, um, and Clarissa Unruh. Um, they were starting to develop their own and they were kind of, in these college circles uh, publishing. Um, so anyways, um, yeah, Susan just reached out to all these people and said, hey, look, I have this idea for a book. Here's where it's going. Could Would you be interested in submitting a chapter? Um, I thought, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I want to, I'd love to. And uh, that's kind of how it came to be. And that was about, I wanna say up to this point, about a little over two, about two years ago. It, the book process of writing for an, an academic level is not, a quick turnaround. It's it's a couple year process. So I want to say a little over two years ago is when she reached out to us. And then, um, yeah, and then right around now is when we were uh, about a year and a half ago, we were submitting it. Um, and then, yeah, it came out um, in December and it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I it, It's a good read for anybody listening. Um, I highly recommend it. But And no disrespect to any of the other authors, but your chapter was the one that spoke to me the most. So um, talk to me about your, uh, your mindset as you were making this shift, because you kind of outlined that a little bit in this chapter. And there were some things that you said in there that you know, I, I was just like, this guy's in my head because it's exactly what I was going through um, when I made this shift. So um, if you could just talk about that a little bit, uh, I think that that would be kind of interesting. Well, it's funny that you talk about this guy being in my head. Well, I have a college professor um, and uh, she's been in my head ever since I've been teaching and um, go to class. And she asked this question, who is the greatest um, movie teacher of all time? And of course, people are saying Mr. Keating from um, from uh, thank you, I Dead Poet Society, and uh, naming this teacher and that teacher. And when Mr. Keating was mentioned, she goes, you know, she had a student that committed suicide. You really think so? Um, and so, anyways, so she kind of had these little 
punches at every teacher, movie teacher that somebody said. And she went off and said, you know, Mr. Han from uh, from Fast Times at Ridgemont High is mine. And, you know, I'm thinking of Mr. Hand is the pizza guy, um, mm -hmm. you know, takes the pizza away and eats it from Spicoli and, um, and then writes, I don't know on the war. That's what I'm thinking. And she goes, yeah, at the end, he's willing to go to Mr. Uh, to Jeff Spicoli's house and sit with him so that he understands American history. Um, he refuses to let this kid fail. And so that's been in my head ever since uh, back in 1999 or 98 or whenever I took this class. And I thought, I want to be Mr. Hand. I want to be that guy who, um, yeah, he draws the lines in his classroom. He, he holds high standards. Now, I'm never going to eat a kid's pizza in front of him. Um, but um, you know, I want to be that guy that, that holds high standards in my classroom, does not let those things go, but is also willing to sit down with the kid in their own spaces and help them to work through the ideas that I'm trying to get into. And so it, it all started back, I would say back in 1999 when I took this class. And it's just been kind of an evolutionary uh, process of me trying to work with kids rather than two kids. Um, and then uh, oh, it's about eight years ago, uh, friend of mine was taking a master's program and he came across some um, ungrading stuff and he kind of threw it at me and knowing that I'm very progressive in my teaching and I'm like yeah that's I want to try that and um, so he and I jumped into that together and then um, what we found was when we let go of grades that everything that we did prior to grading was about justifying a grade. I mean, literally everything that we did was about, okay, so how do I make sure that that A is guarded and that B is justified and that C, et cetera. Um, so, you know, giving tests was about putting a score in a grade book so I could justify a grade. Um, having rubrics was about justifying a grade so that I could put in the grade book. Um, and when I let go of grades, it opened up the potential and the possibility of what learning can be. And because you're no longer trying to justify a grade, or I was no longer trying to justify a grade, I was thinking, okay, so how do people use English language arts outside the four wall of my classroom? Well, people use language arts in um, public speaking and in researching ideas and in, in making a difference in the world and in um, doing, you know, in, in communicating how to create change, but also people do it in, um, in, in public spectrums like, uh, like court, you know, their court cases are all about what we do in English class. We're reading, we're, we're understanding things, we're analyzing things, and then we're arguing, um, why, and, uh, we're taking those arguments and trying to understand them. Um, that's what juries do. Um, and then, so it just naturally evolved into how do I take that those real world uh, applications and put them into my classroom, but also student center them and find out what kids are interested in and allow them to take control of the classroom. Um, I can set up the, the, the learning outcomes, um, like when I talked about uh, in my chapter, um, create you know, having kids, my seniors create these social um, change um, um, uh, projects. Um, 
and and how uh, you know kids were making videos and and publishing them and sending them off to our state superintendent saying, hey, we need to change how we do school to um, having kids um, impact the school itself. Um, we had a group of young ladies who. Um, they, they had a problem with with a lack of uh, menstrual products being available to students. And they did the research on it and they got a variety of menstrual, menstrual products available for free. And this is what we want kids to be doing when, when they go outside of school. We want them to look at their community, look at their um, look at what is the potentials that they can um, they can have in their in their communities and and be those potentials uh those agents of change um so yeah that's kind of the evolution of what's happened in my classroom yeah that's awesome like i was reading through that and yeah i i couldn't agree more it's just how do we get students to it, it's not about our content it's about you know what transferable skills can they gain like how can they use them and you know and i think so often we get too focused on what our content is. And there were a few things that you said in that chapter where you talked about the writing becoming mechanical. And, and I think this is maybe the disconnect between, um, you know, English language arts and science and math, where um, I, I think you view our content as mechanical, but I was seeing the same things like, students were just going through the motions of how do I solve a problem without ever critically thinking and saying, well, what can I do with this? Mm -hmm. And that's where my frustration lied as well. So there's a lot of overlap between your transferable skills and my transferable skills. And, um, so Arthur had, um, you know, your partner at, um, TG two, yeah. right. He had written a post about coming to consensus and, um, you know, with this overlap, like learning is learning and there's skills that are, you know, spiraling throughout all content areas. So do you think that maybe we should move to a, towards a consensus of what we value and presenting that to students to show them that, look, this isn't English language arts. This isn't history. This isn't math science this is just learning these are the transferable skills so w what's your thought on that well you know i think i don't want to make a blanket statement because every school and every teacher is different um me personally i do at the high school level and i teach high school english um I do like the expertise um, and kids coming to me as an expert. Do I think they need six periods a day? No, I think we could, I would, you know, I, I think the six period day is just to, is not for the students at all, but more for the teachers. Um, a lot of teachers who do the stand and deliver uh, teaching would be exhausted uh, going, you know, three hours in a class. Um, what I would like to see is is instead of teaching six periods a day, I'd rather teach two or three periods a day and have my kids for much longer, but for a shorter length of months or weeks or whatever. Um, but I do like the expertise in the field. I like the focus, um, but I would love to um, 
work more collaboratively with our science and our math teachers. Um, you know, I, I don't know science very well and to, to, to expect my kids to understand um, the intricacies of science or the intricacies of math or even the intricacies of art, I, I'm not there. Um, and so I do like the expertise idea at my level. Um, and I think that it is a good deal for kids to come and see somebody like me who is an expert in, in writing and communicating and, and critical thinking and critical reading um, to help them blossom and develop as critical thinkers and critical writers and critical readers. Do I expect them to get to my level? No, I don't. Do I expect every kid to enjoy it? No, I don't. Um, I expect my kids to be exposed to this stuff and hopefully find something that they enjoy. And if they do, then great. If they don't, that's okay. They're going to find something else that they're going to enjoy. So yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I have seen models where um, where they do kind of this this open school model, um, but still, even in those open school models, you have your experts in those areas. Um, yeah, and and I'm not trying to diminish content. I I think content is very important. Um, I'm just talking about maybe highlighting the overlap. So when you were mm -hmm. talking about your um, your court analogy and you know, creating that argument and interpreting the information. Those are all skills that I do in science as well. Right. So if they could see the overlap where, okay, um, you're writing um, a persuasive paper where you're um, creating an argument, if they could see the parallel to, okay, now we've collected data in a science lab and now we have to argue a scientific claim, you know, the format in, in my school are, ELA teachers use claim evidence warrant. Mm -hmm. And for our conclusions, we use claim evidence reasoning, which is essentially the same thing. We, we term them different things, but like if we start talking about those skills the same way, not necessarily taking out the expertise, but, you know, highlighting that, you know, learning isn't different across these contexts, right. you know, and that's really more what I'm suggesting is, you know, um, letting them know that, uh, and I think this, uh, it was Grant Wiggins, um, who said that, um, you know, as a collective, like we have to be in agreement on what high quality work is. So mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, this is high quality work for Aaron. This is high quality work for Dave. And which one does the student choose? This is high quality work. This is critical thinking. This is constructing arguments. This is, analyzing data. So that's really what I mean by consensus. Yeah. Um, no, I think we could. Um, the, the problem is um, at the secondary level is we're not giving a whole lot of time to collaborate with peers and we don't have the same students. Um, so I think, yeah, um, no, I would love to move to like a cohort model where um, I'm working with a math and a science teacher. Um, a, the biggest challenge with that is um, and we tried doing it, is not all freshmen are taking Algebra 1. Um, they're taking Algebra 1 or Algebra 2, or we have we actually have some students taking Algebra 2, Geometry, um, because they took Algebra and Geometry as in middle school. So that's part of the problem. And I think because we've dissected math into these purely, um, these pure structures of Algebra, Geometry, algebra two, trigonometry, because we've done that, we've really kind of limited potential in school 
um, I would love to see um, math one, you know, or math nine. Um, and you could bring in ideas of calculus in there, or you could bring in algebra, uh, yeah, algebraic equations. Um, why do we have to structure in this linear way where if you, you know, you, you in order to be able to do um, trigonometry, you had to solve area. It doesn't make sense to me, <laughs> you know, um, I, but I really think that um, we, that's kind of the starting point is how do we um, really design math to, to really meet students' needs rather than to uh, meet a curriculum. And once we do that, then we can open up schools to, to be more collaborative. Yeah, great ideas. Um, so, all right, moving more towards the the gradeless end of our conversation. Um, what do you say to the the people who say, "All right, you're giving students this experience, right? You're you're highlighting these skills, but you're not giving them a grade. Where's the accountability?" So. Who am I accountable to is my question, okay? My accountability, I believe, I think that it starts at the students. Um, the students are the ones receiving the education. It's theirs. So I'm accountable to them. And my administrator should be accountable to me to, to give me the support that I need to help my students. And then, um, a, you know, the, the, the local, the regional should be accountable to our administration to support them. And I think that we need to flip the idea of accountability upside down. Um, I think that this top-down model of delegating from the state level, from the federal level to the state level, to the local regional level, to the district level, down to the classroom is it's the antithesis of really what accountability should be um, because the people at the state level, um, our legislators have never been in education and they have no clue what it's like to be me. And they don't know what it's like, um, you know, and, and I, me personally, I don't know what it's like to teach in Seattle, Washington um, or in uh, Yakima, Washington, which are really different areas, but I do know what it's like to teach in Woodland and I know my kids and I know my families. And so I think the accountability model needs to be flipped upside down. There, um, back in the early 2000s, there was a site that was starting to become popular and I think it's kind of fizzled out now called ratemyteacher.com and teachers feared that. Why do they fear it? Well, because they knew they weren't giving kids a good deal on their education. Um, so I really think that where accountability needs to lie is from our students. And I think that um, we should be doing more research and more, um, more follow-up uh, on our graduating uh, students and find out, hey, how has your education helped you to be a productive citizen um, now that you're four years out of high school? Um, I think we need to drop state testing and the money that we're spending in that should be spent in asking those types of questions. What could we, what could we have done better to have served you? Um, because ultimately if we aren't serving our kids to become productive citizens and to engage in the greater world, then, then we are failing. Even if our kids are, uh, the, the state testing scores are going up, um, if we're ma making our API, um, you know, if our dropout rates are going down, it doesn't matter if, you know, eight, 10 years from now, our kids go, gosh, uh, you know, 
my, my experience at Woodland High School was just garbage. I'm so glad that I got out of there and now, and that I went to University of Washington or whatever. Um, we want kids to leave our schools going, yeah, I feel prepared for whatever I want to do. And I don't think that we invest into that. And I think that's, that's where accountability should be. I love that. Um, uh, that that's I want to add on to that. Um, state standards, um, in my opinion, were never meant for, for anybody to hold students accountable to. I think um, state standards are for me to hold myself accountable to. Um, my job is to know the state standards and go and, and look through them and say, okay, so what do I think is important in my content area to expose my students to and to challenge my students within and not grade my students against and say, well, you didn't measure up in, you know, in writing 1.2.3. Um, so you're going to fail my class. Um, no, it's my job to really know these um, standards, know what my students need, um, because some students are excellent writers walking in the door first year, first day of freshman year, and some kids struggle. Um, but the kids that are excellent writers, um, they need other things from me. They need ideas on how to um, to to be in more, uh, more intentional in their writing and be more creative in their writing, or how to expand into different audiences, or how to take their writing and use it to uh, to make an impact. Um, so yeah, I, I think that like as far as accountability goes, um, you know, the, the it needs to be a bottom up model. Um, parents and students need to be at the top of that echelon and then working our way down. And then state standards should be um, a reflective piece for teachers um, and not a piece that we're gonna write up on the board. Today, we're gonna learn, um, you know, reading 1.3 uh, and we're gonna have a test on it on Friday and you better pass it or you're gonna fail the class. Yeah, if you put reading 1.3 up there and put the state language, they have no clue what it means. They can't interpret that anyway. No, you know, exactly. Yeah, and so, um, you know, We've done the same thing where we've taken those and kind of put it in our context to, you know, student friendly language that, hey, here, here are our outcomes, here are our goals. You know, so, um, yeah, they were never meant for students. Absolutely agree with that 100%. Um, all right. So now when you, you talked about support, all right. And, um, Teachers going grade list, TG2, you guys provide a lot of support, right? So you have your chats, you have the Beyond the Curriculum podcast, um, you know, you, you do your consulting. So um, there's a lot of things that you offer to teachers, to districts, to everybody who's looking to go in this, in this direction. And um, I love how you put it. Um, you know, making this more humane. Um, so just talk a little bit about the, the things that you offer with TG2. Yeah, so the consulting piece is something new. We, we um, launched a new website uh, back in the late fall, early winter. And um, uh, Arthur and I wanted to branch out into, um, into this consulting piece. And that's, that's a dream of ours. Um, we, we have, uh, worked with individuals, um, helping them to, to, uh, to, to restructure their classrooms. Um, we're, I, I've been in some conversations with a couple districts, um, at this point, I'm hoping to get into some districts and, and, and talk, um, to them. Um, 
but the idea is um, how do we take uh, and, and you know what we do uh, what I do in my English class is transferable to a science class a math class um, and I, I've had this experience of working with um, the teachers uh, who have contributed to our blog over the past four years five years whatever we've been doing four years um, to, to see these transferable ideas so um, yeah, we, we're, we're really trying to reach out and um, help teachers to become better teachers. Um, I know that, you know, before I, I made the shift in um, from from being that traditional model teacher who um, we took notes, we, we wrote the five paragraph essays, we had the test on Friday. Um, I wasn't happy. I wasn't a happy teacher, and um, I remember going to my principal and saying, I'm just not finding the joy in teaching, and I don't know how much longer I'm going to last. And um, it was through that conversation that kind of, you know, challenged me to rethink what I was doing. Um, and I'm, I know that there's a lot of teachers out there uh, who they, they feel like, um, what they're doing is kind of pointless um, because really, you know, if you're teaching to a test on Friday and teaching a five paragraph essay or whatever it is within your content area, it is pointless. If, if they are not transferring what they're learning to the greater world or to their personal lives, then it is pointless. It's absolutely pointless. And kids, you know, if we're going to be honest, um, if we were sitting in our class doing the activities that we were doing and taking tests every week, would we find joy in it? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, and kids don't find joy in it. And the ones that are the high flyers, the only reason they find joy in it is because they 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 want to be looked at as better than other kids, and so they do, or they just want they they want their parents off their case. Um, but they don't see the joy in the actual learning. They see the the joy in the rewards that they get, um, the extrinsic rewards. So that's. Um, really where I want to go in, uh, that's the next step for me as a professional is to be able to step into um, the lives of other educators and to be able to help them to make that shift um, from being um, in a classroom that is ultimately not filled with joy um, to making that shift so that they can be, and not only just finding personal joy and satisfaction, but really authentically challenging our kids um, in ways that, um, that that help our kids to be um, better people and engage in, in, uh, in the greater world and discover something within them that um, they never knew before. So that's ultimately where I'd like to take myself. That's great. Um, so uh, aside from your website, which, you know, has these resources, what would be um, a resource that you would send teachers to? What what would be something that you would recommend to them to check out? You know, I get asked all the time, what what do I um, recommend? Um, you know, there's a lot of good um, books out there that um, that are content specific, like um, Molly Osborne's book. Um, she's a math teacher, and I'm trying to remember the name of her book. Um, but Molly Osborne has a great book about math. Um, uh, and um, I would also recommend uh, uh, Sarah Zerwin's book and um, uh, Matthew Johnson's book. Um, there's some great books out there. Um, a lot of them, though, they, they still kind of um, centered around these um, 
um, and, and, I, and I'm friends with uh, Sarah and uh, Matt, so I'm going to throw them under the bus here. But they really kind of still center around these inauthentic learning experiences of um, writing an essay that really goes nowhere. Um, and, and so I really don't know any good resources. Um, you know, Bai has some uh, great material. Um, but right now, I'm I'm currently working on a book that is going to kind of uh, develop how do we get kids to take our content areas and move it beyond the classroom. Um, how do we how do we do that? And there's some there are some great teachers out there um, that are doing that, but they're not published. Um, and so I, I I really don't you know I. I when I when people ask me where do I point them, I just say wait for my book to come out. <laughs> I think that 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 will help you a lot. Um, follow our blog and um, and keep uh, checking out the TG two website. Um, but yeah, it's it's this fight for um, uh, these inauthentic um, um, pieces that we do in education uh, that are that are contained to the four walls of our of our classrooms. Um, that I just really want to break free from with my students. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I, I don't know of any that are out there that, that help to challenge our kids with that. All right. Fair enough. Um, all right. So what's your best piece of advice for teachers who are looking to go gradeless? Um, couple of them. First of all, believe in your students. Um, a lot of what we do in grading um, says that we don't believe in our students. And, um, you know, we, we constantly hear, well, if I don't grade it, kids won't do it. Um, that's not true. Um, they don't do it. If the, uh, I've noticed that um, just the, the same amount of students do the work when it's graded, if not m more do it when it's ungraded than when they do. Um, so... Trust your students. Um, kids want to learn. They really do. Um, second, take it one step at a time. Do with you know, do one unit um, where you're just not going to grade anything, um, and and see what happens. Um, most teachers who just take it that that one step, they find out that um, you know what, this is pretty amazing. Um, it feels liberating. And um, that uh, that that they want more of it. Um, so yeah, I would say trust your students and take it one step at a time. You don't need to be full on immersed. Uh, I have seen teachers full, you know, jump headfirst in into the pool, so to speak. Um, yeah, I did too. Um, but yeah, um, do whatever you're comfortable with, um, and and build a um, support. Um, community around yourself. TG2 has a great support community uh, on Twitter. Um, we have Facebook presence with, uh, I think we have over 5,000 members in that. Um, so get yourself involved in a community of teachers that will support you, engage with you. Um, make sure that you have uh, at least one partner in your school who wants to, um, may not be ready to make that jump, but at least support you and, and be willing to listen to you and and talk to you and encourage you in, in that process. Um, so yeah, those, that, that would be my advice. That's great advice. So how can people get in touch with you? 
Oh boy, um, I'm always available. So the Teachers Going Greenlist website, you can go to teachersgoinggreenlist.com. You can connect with me there. Um, you can. Uh, we have a form there that you can fill out to connect with me. Um, Twitter is probably the best way to get a hold of me. My DM is open, um, so you're welcome to DM me. Um, my username is at Aaron S Blackwell one. Um, yeah, just follow me, um, DM me. I was messaging a gentleman this weekend who was uh, who had read uh, my chapter on grading and wanted to find out more about um, about how I do trials, and so I just sent him a lot of my materials, um, and I will support him when he jumps into it. So um, yeah, so please feel free to reach out to me um, through Twitter, or if you don't do Twitter, uh, then you can email me. My email address is as, uh, short for Aaron Seth, asblackwelder at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, those are the ways to reach out to me. And all that will be in the show notes. Okay. Thank you very much for joining me today. A um, lot of great insights, great conversation. Thank you very much, David. Thank you for uh, inviting me to be with you. Thanks for listening. I look forward to hearing your feedback. For more resources, visit www.reimagineschools.com or reach out to me on Twitter at David Frangioso.